simply going to tell you this is the best morning show you're ever going to see, whether it's the internet, whether it is streaming, whether it is television. And we're going to bring it to you today. Xavier Woods, safety of the Carolina Panthers, is going to join us. And Timmy Brando is going to join us as we're going to discuss college football. Uh, unbelievable last night in the NFL. Zion Williamson responds to being called fat, not P-H-A-T, but F-A-T with a monster game last night i'm ready i'm on one i'm caffeinated let's go don't at me starts right now welcome and don't even try it with me today because i am on one i wish we took calls because i would be ripping you i mean ripping you left and right if you brought something weak here gritty and you others you know what i'm talking about it was a crazy night last night in the nfl i gotta tell you You think about the Titans and Will Levis. Look, I'm tired of people telling me Will Levis isn't any good. I'm tired of people telling me about what happened on draft day where he got embarrassed and he dropped. I was at the Titans game last week, and I thought Will Levis was damn good. I thought Will Levis threw the ball into the right places. He's big. He's strong. He's aggressive. And you know what? When DeAndre Hopkins last week came at him, you know what Will Levis did? He came right back. That, to me, boys and girls, moms and dad, that's a leader. I like everything about Will Levis. Will Levis did not like Will Levis when he screwed up a pitch to Derrick Henry and a close game last night against the Miami Dolphins turned ugly, 14-point lead. Nobody in the NFL has come back from a 14-point deficit under three minutes to go since 2016. Well, guess what happened last night? Levis got it going on, baby. He led the team on a long drive, took about a minute and a half, Got a touchdown to Hopkins. Then he hit Westbrook, Akinye, however you say it. He used to be just Westbrook at Indiana Gritty. You know that. But anyway, he hit some two-point conversion. Next thing you know, we're on track. Uh-oh, ladies and gentlemen, the Titans defense gets a stop. Uh-oh, ladies and gentlemen, here comes Will Levis. Whap, 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 whap. Touchdown, the win, Tua, the Dolphins go down to the now 5-8 and eight Tennessee Titans. Look, say whatever you'd like. I know Anthony Richardson's the greatest, even though he only played four games and got hurt in every one. I understand we're all waiting for Bryce Young to be great. We'll talk to Xavier Woods, the, the free safety of the Carolina Panthers, about Bryce Young coming up here in a little bit. And I understand CJ Stroud has turned the league on its ear as a rookie, but I got to tell you that right there. If it didn't silence critics last night, particularly in the last three minutes, and there is no silencing critics. This kid Levis came out of Kentucky, big, strong, perfect looking NFL quarterback. People lost their mind on him both positively if you remember, going back to the start of his senior year at Kentucky, Kentucky was going to be the, all the rage. I actually had two guys come up to me and say, hey, Dockage, what do you think about them cats? This was at Medina Country Club, which, by the way, apparently I'm wearing their shirt today. But anyway, at Medina Country Club in Illinois, I go, well, I think Cal Perry will have them pretty good. No, 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 no. We're talking about football here and Kentucky. I go, wait, this has never happened. And these guys started talking about Levis preseason. Well, the season doesn't go great. People blame Levis. Of course they do. Draft comes. Levis, the most remarkable thing about Levis 
is not that he dropped to the third round. It was his hot girlfriend that everybody lost their mind over. He's a third-round pick. She dumps him. He goes into a competition to be the backup to Tannehill, along with Malik Willis. Malik Willis shows that he can't play in the NFL. Will uh, uh, Tannehill gets hurt. Tannehill's back doesn't matter. Will Levis is the future. And he's good. Will Levis is a tough dude. I saw him do that whole helicopter thing against the Colts. Got up, flexed to the crowd, and got right back in the huddle. I'm a Will Levis fan, and last night, wow. I mean, hey, wow. And in the other game, Danny Ert, Tommy DeVito, who was really nondescript as a college player. In fact, as my wife, stepdaughter, others are Syracuse people, those of you that don't know, my wife coached there, stepdaughter Tegan, stepson Jared, lived there. Uh, I'm Syracuse as well because of them. And I always liked the way Syracuse treated Lee and I when we were there. Anyway, long story short, I followed Tommy, er, Danny DeVito, and he was okay. Illinois, okay. Syracuse, okay. I was shocked he was on an NFL roster. No, I really was. When I saw Daniel Jones got hurt and Tyrod Taylor got hurt, I'm like, DeVito, that little guy, is on an NFL roster? Well, he is. And you know the name Wally Pip, Aaron? I guarantee Aaron knows the name Wally Pip. I guarantee you Gary knows the name Wally Pip. I guarantee you Nick Dillon, Ryan, and Nick number two don't know the name Wally Pip. Wally Pip, famous. You get pipped. Not Gladys Knight and the Pips. Not a pimp. Not Kramer walking down in the, you know, whatever, that that coat with a hat, people thinking he's a pimp. No, no, no. I said Pip. And no, not Gladys Knight and the Pips. The dude's name was Wally Pip. He was the first baseman for the Yankees. He got sick. Who replaced him? The Iron Horse. Who's the Iron Horse? Dylan asked. Lou Gehrig. Who's Lou Gehrig? He's the Iron Horse. I could go on and on and on. Next thing you know, here he comes. Who? The Iron Horse. What? He Wally Pips, Wally Pips, meaning he played first base for the Yankees in Wally Pipp's absence for the next 20 years, never coming out of a game. Maybe it was longer than 20 years. Set the all-time consecutive games played record in Major League Baseball. Become one of the five great baseball players of all time of his era. Maybe the second greatest behind Babe Ruth. And next thing you know, Wally Pipp becomes an adjective or an adverb or verb, however you want to say it. You got pipped, adverb. I'm going pipping today. I'm looking for a player to go pipping on somebody. See what I'm doing here? I don't know my English as well as I should. I did take 30 days to a more powerful vocabulary, so I do have a pretty good vocabulary. But I always took a slip. I took a sleep during Miss Cass's English class. Although when I went to Indiana, my first class I ever took, first day was a hot freaking professor who taught us about phallic symbols in English. But I'm getting off track here. Let's go back to Wally Pip. Er. Tommy DeVito, who is he Wally Pipping? Well, he's Wally Pipping Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones signed a mega contract. Daniel Jones became rich. Daniel Jones got paid. Yo. Well, guess what Daniel Jones did? He opened up the door for who? Wally Pip. Er, Tommy DeVito. And Tommy DeVito is stepping right through. Look, you say whatever you want. And maybe Tommy DeVito eventually, eventually shows why he's a backup. But I got to tell you, last night, you know what Tommy uh, DeVito looked like? He looked like a real uh, a real one. He took his team down the field. Now, I got to tell you, I'll never understand why Packers and other teams, when they're only up less than three, go into a prevent defense. 
I'll never understand it. Whap, whap. Next thing you know, boom. Field goal winner, Tommy DeVito and Tommy Cutlets lead the Giants to victory. That's right. That's right. I'm just saying to you, Tommy Cutlets, a.k.a. Tommy DeVito. Oh, yeah, a.k.a. I'm telling you, this dude could be for real. I'm not going out on a limb and saying that he's Tom Brady. Maybe that's what we should use in the NFL, Tom Brady. Wally Pipp for baseball, Tom Brady. Uh, no, 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 no. You got Drew Bledsoe. You got Drew Bledsoe, yo. I don't know if we're there yet, but I do know this. You take the lead late, you're down by, or you're up by less than three, and you're going to go to a prevent defense, you're going to lose. Because kickers now can make it from sixth. See, here's the difference. What happened to end the Titans game? Sack of Tua, game over. Pressure of Tua, game over. What happened in the Packers game? Soft, 32-yard pass, got you in the field goal range. Next thing you know, you're kicking it from about 28. I mean, that's a gimme. That's a layup. That's a dunk with nobody around you in the modern NFL. Prevent my ass. It prevents you from winning. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's true. Look, you're up six. Maybe I go to a prevent. You're up four. Maybe I go, yeah, but not maybe even three, maybe even three, maybe even three, you go to a prevent, but two, one, no, never zip zero. I got to get one play out of my defense. I got to, what do they say? What is, what is uh, uh clack and, uh, Herb Street say, I'm going to pin my ears back. We're going to pin our ears back because one sack and you win the game. But you know what? I don't know what to tell you. Tommy DeVito, he got it done. He got it done well and good for him. I love stories like that. Like I do. I love them. I love stories where all of a sudden here comes a guy that didn't get a shot. He's got a shot. And it's going to be very difficult to keep him out of the lineup. Speaking of difficult, woo, baby. And this is starting to aggravate me. Like, I say this all the time. What has Stephen A. Smith done that he can criticize on the court athletes? Like, he was a bad player on a bad, in a good program run by a good coach, but he quit, couldn't play. And yet, He's weighing in on Zion Williamson. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not mad at Stephen A. Smith weighing in on Zion Williamson for this because he's right and because Zion Williamson is fat. Zion Williamson does have a weight issue. And don't make excuses for him. Look, the NBA is full of guys that employ people, whether it is a strength coach of their own, a stretching coach, a financial guy. You know what most of them employ? A chef in-house, makes some meals, keeps them on the right track, gets them away from pizza, gets them away from, oh, I don't know, whatever, hot dogs, Portillo's, gets them away from KFC. You go to Portillo's and KFC and Domino's enough, you're going to start looking like me, and nobody wants to look like me. I can promise you that. Well, Zion Williamson, when he first came out of Duke, played in the summer league. Zion Williamson was fat. Zion Williamson, it looked like, went from the end of the Duke season to the buffet line immediately, nonstop. Didn't look like he went to the trainer. Didn't look like he went to the chef. It looked like he went to Shakey's for their all-you-can-eat lunch buffet, which to this day is still the best deal in the history of the world. You young guys, look up Shakey's. I don't know if there still is any around, 
But if there are, and you're looking to save a little money and eat like a hog, hit Shakey's Lunch Buffet. Anyway, I digress. But here is what Stephen A. Smith said. He looks fat. That's a great opening line, Stephen A. Smith says. He looks fat. While LeBron, this is so true right here. This is so true. While LeBron James had dropped 30 and three quarters, completely dominated, and looked in peak physical condition, Zion Williamson, who's more than 15 years younger, went to the free throw line. I saw a belly. When he took a deep breath, his belly bounced. That type of belly. I know they got a weight clause in his contract. They've got to. He got to be violating it. He's addicted to food. I'm speculating. But it's got to be, and it's got to change. Now, he's right. He's right. No, he, he, he's not wrong. Zion Williamson's fat. Now, I'm going to get into how Zion Williamson responded here last night in a minute. But he ain't wrong. And this is going to be something that Zion Williamson either gets under control and becomes one of, in the conversation of, greatest players in the NBA and could because of his ability and his intelligence. I've always said Zion Williamson's a brilliant basketball player. I mean, brilliant. You can tell by the way he passes the ball. But I always felt like Zion Williamson was going to have to make a decision. Does he become like Charles Barkley, who obviously had a weight program? Go look at pictures of Charles in college at Auburn and then look at him in the NBA. Moses Malone, as Charles Barkley said on our show about a year and a half ago, Moses Malone called him up to his suite and said, son, you're never going to make it in the NBA until you get your fat under control. Zion Williamson needs that. All right. Here is also, look at that. That's fat. Anyway, here is also what Stephen A. Smith said. I'm not exaggerating. I'm quoting people. You got chefs. This is pretty funny here. You've got chefs in New Orleans who love them. Yeah, they do. Why do chefs in New Orleans love them? Because they're looking for them. Every chef there wants to meet them. The word out on Zion Williamson is that he'll eat the table. I got a story about that. You know, I got a story about everything. Friend of mine, good friend, not going to say his name. Mammoth, huge, sitting at a round table. My brother's to my left. My son's to my right. This guy's son's over here. Another guy. Okay. My man is about four bills. Food comes out. We're at a BW3. We got wings. We got all kinds. I mean, there's so much food on table. My brother takes his left hand and moves it quick. And I look, and it was, I was sitting to his right. I happened to notice. After dinner, I go, hey, man, why'd you jerk your hand? Something happened? He goes, Dan, so-and-so, our 400-pound friend, was eating everything. I swear to God, he was going to mistake my finger for a sausage or a wing, and he was going to eat my finger or try to chop off my finger. So I got to get it out of there before it happened. He ain't wrong, Zion Willi or Stephen A. Smith, about Zion Williamson. But it continues. Zion Williamson's poor work ethic has been the source of frustration for the Pelicans since they drafted him number one in 2019. Well, let me tell you, I've told you this before, 2019, I'm doing summer league games for ESPN. And when you do summer league games, it's not really about the game. You're trying to stir conversation. And you talk to a lot of different people, assistant GMs, GMs, all that kind of stuff. And Williamson, I believe, played in one game. And then he went, oh, oh, my hammy. Oh, I pulled a hammy. 
Talked to a couple dudes with the Pelicans who asked me not to say anything about their name. A couple were scouts, and they're like, hey, I got to tell you, this guy, this guy is unbelievable. This guy, he don't want to do nothing. And they have been concerned since the day they drafted him. In fact, they were concerned before. And Williamson, according to people that I know, had all these assurances about how he was going to be a professional. Well, this is from Pelicans reporter Christian Clark. Work ethic has been a source of frustration for the Pelicans since they drafted him. The Pelicans have tried to surround Williamson with veterans who have track records of maximizing their potential. Team signed J.J. Redick in 19. 22, they landed C.J. McCullough. None of it's made an impact. The Pelicans have repeatedly stressed to Williamson that his diet and conditioning needed to improve. Williamson, according to multiple sources, have told the, who told the pecan time, pecan whatever, just doesn't listen. Well, he doesn't. Because Zion Williamson knows everything. Zion Williamson's the man. Zion Williamson has always been the man. But here, ladies and gentlemen, is how Zion Williamson responded last night. He dropped 36 on a good team. I didn't realize the Timberwolves were like 17 and four. So he went out after all this stuff and credit the sack man for having this game. The sack man's no joke. The sack man uh, sent me a sack attack note. And hey, we're taking New Orleans tonight. Like, fine. Fine, sweet as you please. And Zion Williamson went off like 12 of 15, 36 points. Good for him. See, it's all in there for Zion Williamson. It's all in there. But so is a lot of sausage. So is a lot of spaghetti. So is a lot of pizza. So is a lot of beignets. Stop it, stupid. Get serious. You know what I always say? Wipe your ass, cut your hair, clean yourself up, and go be a pro. And people lose their mind. Well, you got to cut your hand. I don't think you should have to cut. Uh, shut up. It's an it's a analogy. It's a metaphor. Wipe your ass, cut your hair, clean yourself up, and go be a pro. And when you do that, when he does that, I swear to you, I saw him in person. I've seen him on video. I've kind of studied him. He's like the smartest basketball player. Ah, combined with athletic ability explosiveness, physical strength, maybe that I've ever seen. He's brilliant basketball player. He's just a fat ass. You know how many fat asses are around? That are Here's what you got to do to be a brilliant – to be able to play basketball at his size, every single guy that plays as a big fat pig uh, does two things. He's got great hands and great feet. You can't play basketball as a fat pig without, being, without having great hands, great feet. That's it. And he's got them both. Hey. The NFL is starting to understand, or at least NFL players are starting to understand, what I have been telling you for a year and a half, ever since I got the report. The NFL players have had enough of referees. It is another consequence of diversity, D, equity, E, inclusion, I, that the NFL, in its infinite wisdom, decided was the most important thing about officiating. Not talent, not experience, none of it. Uh-uh. D-E-I. Veteran officials were let go. Younger officials were brought up. Women were made sure to be brought up. And if anybody's seen the biggin that's perusing the sideline on one of these crews that can't get up and down, all you got to do is think women's national championship game, LSU, 
and Iowa. By the way, I forgot to call Kim Mulkey back. It was actually her assistant who wants to talk about our podcast. That won't go well for the assistant when I call him back. Anyway, uh, here's the deal. NFL player Miles Garrett. Now, this isn't Patrick Mahomes losing his mind. This is Miles Garrett. NFL player Miles Garrett, the officiating, and remember, Garrett's team won, was a travesty today. It was honestly awful. Respect to those, they have a hard job. But we have a hard job as well. I got a lot of respect for those guys, but we get scrutinized for plays we don't make. And someone has to hold them accountable for the calls they don't make. They need to be under the same microscope as we are every single play. All right. But here's what I would ask Miles Garrett. I would ask Miles Garrett this. Do you know the punishment for an NFL official that makes bad calls? And the answer is going to be, well, there is no punishment. No, 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 there is. No, no, no. Every call they make or don't make, every play is scrutinized, every play is watched, every play is reported on. I don't have the answer. I tried to look into it. Now, there, everything ranges from being taken off games, fines, losing assignments in the postseason, being downgraded, basically losing your opportunity to be the guy that stands with the microphone. But a lot of white dudes lost that opportunity a while back. I know we're not supposed to say that, but I know NFL officials, and NFL officials have told me, oh, yeah, we know the deal. And it makes it very difficult because when you have somebody that's no good and inexperienced or they're because of anything other than being great, it hurts the entire crew. How many flags did we see on Sunday that got picked up for no foul? A veteran NFL told me that should happen once a year. That should not happen four times in a half as it did in one of the games I was watching. I can't remember which game now. Oh, well, there was really no foul. Why? Because of inexperience. Because the guy running the ship said, really? Is that what you saw? Look, I'm not even mad at the offsides. The offsides is fine. But I've told you this forever, and I'll keep telling you this. But no white guy wants to say this, right? Every white guy runs scared. But the NFL made a decision a couple of years ago, actually longer, to go younger, more diverse, female and you're seeing it hey not that the older guys didn't make mistakes everybody made mistakes particularly early in the year but it's never been like this it's never been where players are like yo this stinks it's tough to swallow we go on not only for me and football in general to take away greatness like that for a guy like travis to make a play like that you want to see the guys on the field decide the game they're human, make mistakes. Every week, we talk about something. It's a call. Never had offensive offsides caught. Well, I got to tell you, you can complain all you want, Mahomes, but you're just looking like a whiner. That call had to be made. The other problem you have with NFL officiating, and I think this is a big problem, DEI, huge problem, replay, massive problem. I've said this before. I'll say this again. When you are an official, the last thing that you can have is any doubt in your mind. I've talked to officials, black, white. I've talked to them. Now, the women, that's a whole different deal. As the late, great John Adams 
former legendary head of officials in college basketball, said there are nine women officiating college basketball, eight of whom should not even do seventh grade games. But they're women. They get bumped up, and we got to watch. You think those were the three best officials, LSU against Iowa in a national championship game? Are you insane? Anyway, DEI is killing it. It has, it will, and I'll keep talking about it. But I got to give kudos to players, man. I got to give kudos to players. I do. Here's more from Mahomes. You ready? If it does, they warn you, talking about offsides. There wasn't a warning the entire game. And then you make a call like that in the final minutes. Another game, we're talking about the refs. It's not what we want in the NFL. It's not what we want for football. He is right about that, but Kadarius Tony did line up offsides, and he did it blatantly. Although there is video, I don't know if we have the video, but there is the video of him pointing over here to the ref. Now, the ref has to acknowledge, you know, a ref's got a lot of things looking at the line of scrimmage. I'm looking at the line of scrimmage. Maybe there's something here, and all of a sudden, some guy going, doesn't necessarily mean it's so. Just like a guy in a batter's box calling timeout doesn't mean the referee's got to call timeout. Hey, speaking of players, you ready for this? I told you this. Isn't it amazing how many things that I tell you on this show eventually come true? I told you George Pickens, Deontay, Deontay uh, Johnson are becoming pains in the ass to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I told you this. That's a lot of face right there in your camera. That's a good-looking man. Anyway, here it comes. Mike Tomlin, he's had enough. It's a problem because it's not solution-oriented. That's right. He's right. Going like this as a wide receiver, bitching, whining, and moaning is not solution-oriented. You know, we're all frustrated, but we got to manage our frustration in a professional, mature way. When it's not done that way, it's not necessarily pushing us to solutions. That is a great quote. That is awesome. That is a quote where you should print that off and keep that for your team. Because people see professional athletes like the very childish George Pickens lose his mind on every play. Are you solution-oriented or are you a whining little batch? I would argue that George Pickens and Deontay Johnson are just whining little batches in a long line of whining little batch diva wide receivers. Man, you see the catch he made? He's great. Now he's got gloves that are stickier than honey dripped on the floor. Just stop. I can make catches like that in those gloves. Take that somewhere else. Take it somewhere else. I don't want to hear about it. I don't need to hear about it. But I'm glad Mike Tomlin talked about that. Serious business. Mike Tomlin talking about it now can get it corrected because coach, excuse me, fans are always, for whatever the reason, always on the player's side. Man, Pickens ain't getting the ball. Man, Johnson ain't getting the ball. No, no, no. Tomlin said it right. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. No. No, no, no. No, he's not, he not helping. He's hurting. You could put it there. He ain't helping. He's hurting. And he is. This is a weird story. Get, sit in here real quick. Everybody gather around Uncle Dan. Ready? Everybody gather around Uncle Dan. I want to make sure I got this story right 
because there are names changed in this story. I'm going to say that again. There are names changed in this story. All right. So there's a pitcher, and by all accounts, a pretty good pitcher. The dude was an all-star twice with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, most people aren't paying that close attention to the Pittsburgh Pirates pitching staff. The guy's name is Felipe Rivera. He's deported by the United States. All right. He pitched under the name of Felipe Vasquez. See why I'm making sure I read it here? Because you got to check. His name was Felipe Rivero. He pitched under Felipe Vasquez. He served a couple years in the camp for having sex with a minor. All right. So he has sex with a minor. He serves a couple years in Pennsylvania. So the United States says, hey, uh uh-uh, we're deporting your ass to Venezuela. Get the hell out of this country. The girl was 13 years old. This guy was 27. He changed his name to honor his sister. He began a sexual relationship that lasted two years with a 13-year-old girl. He met the girl on social media. Girl was 13. Month later, drove her to Scottsdale while her parents were gone. He parked his vehicle in front of the residence, had sex with her before they drove back to Pittsburgh. Oh, Scottsdale, Pennsylvania. Before they drove back to Pittsburgh for a game that night. So this dude in Scottsdale, frickin' Pitts, Pennsylvania, decides, I'm going to pick up the 13-year-old girl. And in picking up the 13-year-old girl, he's going to have sex with her right in front of her mom's place. So then it gets dumber. The two exchange illicit sexual images. Of course, mom found out. He then gets arrested. Authorities in Florida and Missouri wanted to know. He possessed child pornography, a.k.a. pictures of the little girl. Jeez. This guy went to jail for a couple years, and now he is deported. Get your ass back to Venezuela. Whenever I hear deported, I always think about the first case. I'm not even going to get into it. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, This is a weird story, but it certainly fits Michigan. Juwan Howard is under investigation. Now, those of you that don't know who Juwan Howard is, Juwan Howard is the head coach of Michigan basketball. We know the head coach of Michigan football. That's Jim Harbaugh. Juwan Howard, he of trying to, he slapped (laughs) Joe Kravinoff, assistant coach of the uh, Wisconsin Badgers. He did it in such a way that he went over the top Fab Five style, backed off, and then, you know, cried like a little baby. Anyway, and then he threatened an entire team. Now, he has apparently taken after the weight coach, John Sanderson. I've known John Sanderson since he was a high school player. I tried to recruit John Sanderson to Bowling Green. He went to Ohio State, and then he transferred to Ohio University. John Sanderson and his family were coaches at Michigan when my son was there as a player. John Sanderson is one of the nicest human beings alive. Well, Javon Howard is being investigated for getting into what is being described, depending on who you listen, 
a physical or non-physical altercation with Sanderson. Now, I don't know who would win the fight. It's always funny to me. I think Juwan Howard is a nice guy. I'm sure Juwan Howard, like all the other idiots from the Fab Five, fancies himself as something that he's truly not. That's the Jalen Rose, Chris Webber way of going about business. But Juwan Howard has acted like a complete idiot. Now, here's where I know there's something amok here. John Sanderson did not go with Michigan when they beat Iowa at Iowa. John Sanderson is always traveled with the team. John Sanderson is always there. And it's alleged that Sanderson got tired of Howard's kid being late for treatment and workouts. And apparently, allegedly, Howard didn't like it because in the modern world of both Deion Sanders and apparently Juwan Howard, well, we have to treat our sons better than everybody else. I don't know what the deal is. I have no idea, but I got to tell you, <laughs> it's just funny. Hey, I watched this live. Um, Norfolk State coach alleged, alleged res, re, racism in an altercation between one of his players and a fan. Look, how many times have we seen this? It ended up being a dust-up. It ended up being something between Ryan Peter, the head coach of Illinois State, and Robert Jones, the head coach of Norfolk State. Well, what happened was, apparently, the player was getting into it with fans. All of a sudden, that <clears throat> you could tell on TV, there was nothing serious here. They were going back and forth. Well, you could tell that somehow, some way, Robert Jones got infuriated. <clears throat> so Robert Jones goes on to the court. Ryan Peden's like, get this guy a tech. What are you doing? Anyway, next thing you know, the player tells the coach, "We somebody said a racial slur. In fact, the N-word. The coach is reasonably upset. They throw a guy out. The idiot announcer, Dan Rohn, says, oh, racial slur. Not confirmed, just said by a player. Next thing you know, Robert Jones, a coach at Norfolk, accuses uh, Peden and others of racism. Peden didn't do that, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think we're far beyond listening to one kid's accusation about racism. Here's a guy named Darren Schrader. Darren Schrader says it was friendly banter. Fan said he flopped, player was laughing, said, come on, bro, he fouled me. Ref stepped in, scolded the player. Other fans were chirping, never said anything but friendly banner. There was absolutely in capital letters, no racial slur. I was sitting courtside three feet away from the entire incident. Now, in all fairness, the Missouri Valley is investigating. Peden has apologized, but the Norfolk State coach says, I'm not talking to him. Peden got mad because when Jones came at him, Peden came at him. And, you know, you're excited, you're fired up, and whatever Jones said, Peden wasn't listening to, and apparently we're all supposed to listen to Robert Jones. And I guess Robert Jones said to Peden, they called my guy a slur, and Peden wasn't listening. Okay, but we've learned from a lot of different cases. The most recent, I don't even know if it's the most recent. Most recent that, that went real public was the BYU Duke volleyball player, where a Duke volleyball player completely lied about being called the N-word. We're not supposed to just all of a sudden take everybody's word for it. It'll all be hashed out. If I were the guy that got kicked out, I'd lawyer up against Robert Jones if, and if I didn't say it. If I said it, I'd shut the hell up and go away. But I have a hard time. I just do. I have a hard time with somebody sitting in the front row that's a huge basketball fan, which this guy apparently is, 
dropping the N-word in front of a bunch of people. And I watched it live. Player for Illinois State that was there said no such racial slur happened. No, didn't happen. I watched it live. I saw the interaction. And all right, I saw a fan getting into it. Not much. People were laughing. Nobody was bowing up like, you know, how dare you say that? I couldn't imagine a guy sitting three feet away and hearing some idiot drop the N-word wouldn't react. I can't imagine that the player wouldn't react. And I certainly can't imagine that any African-American player, whether they're on Illinois State or Norfolk State, was around there wouldn't react. We'll see what happens. But Robert Jones went crazy. Oh, the N-word, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we'll see what happens. Full disclosure, my son's assistant on Illinois State. And I've watched this. I told him, you guys got to figure it out. You got to get out in front. If it wasn't said, and now people are starting to come out and say it wasn't said, we'll see what happens. I don't know whether it was said or not. I just know that I ain't buying anything. Or let me put it this way. I ain't buying everything that a kid says about that any longer. And common sense tells me guys sitting in the front row is going to drop the end bomb on a gym that only holds 3,500 people. I don't know, but I guess we'll find out in the coming days because I don't think this one is over. Um, kind of funny. Tracy Edmonds, who is Deion Sanders, Sanders's fiance for 12 years, not fiance, who knows? You know what I'm saying? Like, who the hell knows? She says, I want to clarify about her breakup with Deion Sanders. It was my decision to end the relationship. Despite any different narratives being presented, I've chosen to prioritize myself and my family, moving towards a future where I'm valued, treated with honesty, and free to embrace the happiness and respect I deserve. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Was Dion a liar? Did Dion not pay enough attention? I don't know. Who knows? I don't. And I really don't care. But good for you, lady. Like so many people, we've seen it, so many women in particular, and we all defend them. Like the baby mama thing is so ridiculous. Women will take semen from a guy, hand it out the door, put it in a bag, give it to a woman, try to impregnate. I mean, we've seen shameless, stupid stuff. Nice to see a lady stand up for herself. I don't know, and I don't care. Relationships are tough. Relationships are rocky. Relationships break up. Could care less. But good for her, Tracy Edmonds. Good for her standing up, not being just another woman hanging on to fame or just another guy hanging on to a woman's fame. Man, the stories of women taking semen from a dude, passing it to another woman, getting pregnant, putting it that old, I don't even know. I don't know what you do. But next thing you know, you're getting paid a lot of money. Period. Hey, Herbie's coming back. Look at Herbie trying to be all tough. Kirk Herbstreet opens fire on haters from Florida State. He ain't happy. I don't know. I don't. I didn't know how I voted. I had an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. Subjective. A lot of people don't understand the cluster. All these people that are upset, did they ever break down what they get to a cluster of teams? This is what the committee is asked to follow. Have you ever heard that? When they bitch and complain, they don't like facts. They don't like information. They like conspiracy theories. Yeah, there's no conspiracy theory. This is simple. I know Tim Brando uh, isn't going to agree with me, and that's cool. We shouldn't. Florida State didn't deserve it. They were any good. I don't care if they won all their games. Hell, Alabama would have won all their games. Just don't play Notre Dame. You know what I'm saying? Get out of here. Good for Herbie. You don't have to sit there and just take it 
from fans because fans think they should be able to give it to you. Good for her. And then people will say, well, he, he he's thin-skinned. No, he's not. He's a competitor. That's why I fire back on Twitter. Not sitting there listening to people's shit just because they think they can say stuff to me. Get out of here with that. Uh, Panthers. Panthers are uh, struggling. Panthers are struggling. And we're going to talk to Xavier Woods next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Drew Shafino, who is a guy kicked off at Bowling Green, he's back. He's back. He talks about bullying me. He bullied me. Oh, boy. Guys are really funny. Guys are hilarious. Everybody wants revisionist history. Uh, We're waiting on Xavier Woods to join the show. But as we wait, let's talk about some things that I think are very interesting. Last night in the NFL, you know what we saw? Saw a couple young quarterbacks get it done late. And let's be honest. We always say this in baseball, three o'clock hitter. Yeah, he's a three o'clock hitter. What does three o'clock hitter mean? Three o'clock hitter means, okay, the game's at seven. Dude can hit in BP, but the game is at seven. Seven. All right. Well, practice player in basketball. We had a guy at Indiana, Magnus Belkowski, greatest one-on-one player ever. I'm sorry, best one-on-no player ever. Struggled in games. He wasn't brought up. It wasn't his fault, but he was skilled. In football, particularly NFL football, here's the deal. NFL football, you got to be good late. There's a saying, big possums walk late. Same thing in golf. It's one thing to get a birdie on the first hole, but can you birdie nine when there's seven presses and everybody's rocking and rolling, everybody's doing it? That's the question. That is the deal. And if you can't, then you're going to lose a lot of money. In the NFL, if you can't perform late as a quarterback, you ain't really an NFL winning quarterback. Look, you start the game, maybe it's a little difficult. You get going, away we go. The deal is simply this. In the NFL, big possums at quarterback walk late, and we saw it yesterday. Not since 2016 has an NFL team come back from 14 down with under three minutes to go. Think about that. They did. Them. The five and eight Titans. Now, that's pretty good. Now, that's really good. Now, that's tremendous. And what you do there is you show up late. You show up late and you win games late. You don't win games early. You don't win games early. You show late and that's when you do it. And Tommy DeVito did it last night for the Giants. And I got to tell you, Will Levis did it last night, same time, for the freaking Titans. Let me ask you a question, though. Here's the bigger question. This is the biggest of questions. Did you like having two 
Monday night football games on your television last night? And did you like them starting at the same time? See, I would have dug it if one started at 7 and then one started at 8.15, 8.30. I thought that would have been good. Same time. Now, look, you can't really complain about it because in the NFL, you usually, if you don't have the NFL ticket, you've got two games going on at the same time in the 1 o'clock window on your TV. You got Fox and CBS. If you're, you know, if you're just watching the local stuff, you've got two games on at the same time. So people have said, "Well, I don't like them at the same time." I get that. But Monday Night Football, it should have been much easier, much easier to do this. It should have been much easier to go seven o'clock or even seven thirty and eight thirty. I don't care. Prime time starts at seven. It's when prime time starts. Make no mistake. So next thing you know, you go at 7 and 8.30, and then you got the game staggered. But I'll tell you this, it was a little bit like the NCAA tournament last night. You went finish to finish. You went finish to finish, and next thing you know, boom, boom, and then boom. Now, I think they'll amend that, but I ain't mad, and I'm also not mad at Saturday's slate. I'm not mad at having a bunch of NFL games, particularly Saturday evening. Saturday is the golf match of the century. It's a celebrity match, really. It's me and Urban Meyer at Calusa Pines, a really nice place here against Cam Safali and Brad Lacone. Those of you that know Cam and Brad know that they paid to play golf with Urban and I here in Florida uh, at our golf outing. And they paid a lot of money, but we don't care. We're not going to throw off. We're going to go kick the crap out of them. I wish I had Aaron Spielberg as my partner, but Urban will do just fine. But Saturday night, NFL, I'm digging. I am digging. Why am I digging? I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I, I, I kind of, sort of think that, uh, you know what? I like appointment TV, and so do you. You got Minnesota, Cincinnati, eh. You got Pittsburgh at Indianapolis. Eh. Then you got Denver at Detroit. Now, is Detroit a fraud? I don't know. But here's the other deal. I don't know what to tell you. But Indianapolis, the Colts, never since 2008 beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. They just don't. I don't care if it's Ben Roethlisberger. I don't care if it's, what was it? What was that guy's name? Nick Harper getting a fumble by Jerome Bettis. His wife had stabbed him in the leg. Yes, this is true. His wife had stabbed him in the leg early in the year, uh, early in the day last night, and he couldn't roll it. Nick Harper could not get past, could not get past a fat Ben Roethlisberger and score. They just don't beat him. But that's not the point. The bigger, broader issue is I like me some Thursday night uh, football, NFL. I'll tell you what I also like. I like the coming slate of college basketball this weekend. You Indiana fans, you're going to like what you're going to see Saturday. You are. Now, people can say, well, man, no, Indiana can't play. Indi Let me tell you something. There are certain days in Assembly Hall where you go, huh, interesting. How did that just happen? How did it happen that Indiana just beat the number two team in the country? How did that happen? Well, I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. It's going to happen because Indiana is going to have Assembly Hall insane. Shots are going to go in. There will be a miracle shot by somebody at Indiana that's going to go in 
And you're going to remember that I said this and go, huh? Because it always, I'm not talking about a three quarters quarter. I'm not talking even about a half quarter, although that wouldn't surprise me. Somebody's going to hit a fading, falling at the shot clock buzzer shot. There's going to be two calls late in the game that are going to go Indiana's favor. True story. When we used to play games like this, I used to nudge. I would always sit at home on Bob Knight's left. And I would nudge him with my right elbow. Coach, you got to get up, change the game. You, you got you to change the game. He would stand up, go nuts, a non-conference game, even against Kansas, and Ed Hightower or Weimer or one of these guys would all of a sudden call a travel or two on the other team, and we would have a chance. They call it the Hall of Calls, and you're going to see it. You're going to see it on Saturday. Other game, and this is ridiculous, in Indianapolis, Arizona against Purdue. Now, I got to tell you, it's insane to me. Arizona against Purdue is going to be on NBC. It's going to be on the Peacock channel. The Peacock channel. That's the streaming service. It's the biggest non-conference game of the year. I can show you my top five teams. My number one is Arizona. My number two is Purdue. Period. Everybody else is good and certainly can beat those two teams. Kansas, I am not impressed with, although I got them in the top five. Houston, I've watched for a minute, and they look pretty good. And then UConn, I don't care that they lost at Kansas. UConn's damn good. See, that game, Kansas and UConn, was one of those games that Kansas doesn't lose at home. There are games at Purdue that Purdue ain't losing at home. I learned that in 1982. 1982. Mm, never forget. Michael Scooby Scarce went off. I'm like, wow, this is a tough place to play. After we had beaten him and I had a great game as a freshman against Purdue. I'll never forget it. But I'm like, oh, man, Scooby-Doo is kicking our ass. And he looked like Scooby-Doo. I guess that's why he called himself Scooby. Anyway, long story short, and by the way, let's get serious here. And let's start hitting the like button, YouTube chat, because I got to see what the hell's going on. Dan. Are you willing to bet Indiana beats Kansas? I am. I'm, there's a rule of 84, and it happened last night. If you take the underdog, you got to take the points, but you also take them to win. 84% of the time, an underdog that you think is going to win, if they cover, they also win outright. 84%. That's the sack man. Well, guess what? I'm taking Indiana. I'm taking the money line. I'm taking the uh, uh, points. And I'm betting the hell out of Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I, I may be wrong. Hey, Dan, if uh, I can bet on that match, I'm house betting on you and Urban. Here's the problem with house betting. Cam Safali is the greatest clutch putter that I know. And Brad Laconi, guys of you that know the golf world of uh, Indianapolis, know the name Brad Laconi. I'm not sure that I'm taking me. I'm not sure that I am betting on me. I'm not sure. So, you know what? We shall see. I am willing to bet. We cannot lose to Cam Safali. We'll see. But anyway, there's a bunch of other good games. There's a bunch of other great games coming up. This is one of the best sports weekends of the year. You're going to have bowl games starting. You're going to have 
Uh, we, we need to just move on, guys. Thanks, Xavier, but we're we're at the end of the segment. We were supposed to do this at 940, uh, so you guys just thank Xavier, wish him luck, and we'll move along. But anyway, this is one of the great sports weekends of all time. This is. And in that, you've got professional football all weekend. Yeah, we're not having guys show up whenever they want on this show. little respect for the show. I mean, we're all busy, but if you're going to be on our show, be on our show. I mean, what the hell? I mean, you know, 940 is 940. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you guys that listen to you guys that are on the YouTube chat, you know the deal. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, feels good just to be back in control. <clears throat> anyway, that's what's going to happen. All right, a couple other things. And I want to get to Tim Brando on this. Here's the deal. The deal is this. When you get to the college football playoff, and we're about 10 seconds away because bowl games are starting, that's the start of the college football playoff season to me. It is no longer going to be, no longer is it going to be, hey, look, should Florida State have been in? It's not. That's over as soon as the first bowl game hits. That's how I look at it. It's over. It's done. Tim and I are going to discuss it coming up here, I'm sure. We're also going to discuss college hoops, but it's over. Once It's, it's like I told my ex-wife, the minute you move out, it's over. I don't want to hear what you're doing. You don't want to hear what I'm doing. I don't want to. <clears throat> That's it. That's it. That's it. That's all. So at the end of the day, that's all we got. Long story short, college football, over. It's Florida State out. It's Michigan, Alabama, which I still say will be the highest rated show game ever in college football. I'm going to ask Tim Brando if he believes that. I have a lot of people tell me they don't believe that. See, here's what Ohio State and Michigan fans don't understand. That's a regional game. Now it is. I mean, I get it. Everybody wants to win the game. Everybody loses their mind. You know, everybody, blah, 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 blah. All right? I get it. I do. But the truth of the matter is this. It's regional. I grew up, it was boring. I watch it now, eh, kind of boring. It's good. I watched it hard when Urban was there. But let me ask you a question. Let me go to the YouTube chat. Is it really is it really a national I got to watch game for people other than maybe Ohio State and Michigan fans at other places? Is it really? Hmm. I don't know. You know what? I'm in on it, but I think Michigan. Let me add. All right, I'll go to the chat. Let me ask you guys this question. What's a higher rated game? What would what game would you rather watch? What game would you rather see? I would rather see what than Alabama, Michigan. What? I mean, you tell me. I'll listen. You tell me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. What, 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 you think, uh, Florida State, Michigan? Absolutely not. No. You think Michigan and Georgia? That'd have been big. That'd have been big. That'd have been huge. That would have been. Mm. Dan, it's a national game when both teams are in the top five. I don't argue that. And I, I, I don't argue that. It's a huge game. But I just think because this is the playoff, because this is the South, because this is the SEC, 
And because this is what Michigan, Michigan's been in our face for a long time. Michigan's been right here in our face. Michigan has cheated or didn't cheat, depending on who you're listening to. Everybody has an opinion. I'm just telling you, there's never been a bigger game than this because of what's going on with Michigan, because it's Alabama, and because it is the South and football is king and it's a playoff. A playoff. I'm going to ask Tim Brando. That's going to be my first question. Because I really believe this. We'll see. When, when we come back, we'll have Tim Brando. We will talk about it. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, uh, Tim Brando joins us. We had Tim on a few weeks ago, and I absolutely love this. So I'm going to get right into this. I have said this. All right, everybody complain, Florida State, in, out, whatever. Okay, fine. I get all that. Tim, I believe this. I believe this is a unique situation, and the Michigan-Alabama game is going to be the most watched game in the history of college football because of the South, Alabama, all the crap going on with Michigan. And, Tim, it's a playoff game, which pumps it up even more. You agree or disagree? No, I completely agree. Uh, Okay, the matchup, okay, you cannot argue with how great a matchup it is. It's it's since they started, really, going all the way back, uh, Dan, to the the BCS, okay, when, you know, the the Pac-10 and the Big Ten didn't play ball with the rest of the teams that were part of the old college football association. We could never get that, that dream matchup because of the Rose bowl situation and its history and all that. So they put together the BCS. We really, when you think about it, didn't have for whatever reason in a title game. Now, Ohio state and Bama have played. Yes. uh, But not in the championship. Okay. We wanted that. We wanted that big 10 and, and, and Alabama. And by the way, are there two greater villains for either of the fan bases to root against, right? Then Harbaugh, if you're an Alabama fan, and Saban, if you're a Michigan fan. So yeah, the the matchup is, it's it's off the charts. And I understand why our friends Kirk and Chris would be salivating at the notion of having this game. Any any broadcast team would. Uh, so I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. Yeah, I think Florida State was jobbed. I think what the committee did was was wrong. Uh, I think that it really does point out what the biggest problems that we've had in this entire process has been, and that is no transparency and brands only need to enter because in the end, that's what they're going to do. The amazing thing and the takeaway for me is now, look, let's let's be real. When we started in college football, when I started the original game day in 87, we had polls figuring this thing out, okay? And then, in, and then after that, we got to the, the BCS, which, which gave us, you know, uh, two teams that ever that people could agree on, and it did incorporate, all right, the, the Rose Bowl, Big Ten, Pac Ten factor 
and the rest of those teams so that one and two could play. That was a little better. Is four better than two? Yeah, four was a little step better, but it's still wrong and it's still corrupt. And it's corrupt because of the process, not because of the individuals, but the process. When Boo Corrigan, a good guy from a great family who's been involved in intercollegiate athletics since the Stone Age, I mean, Gene Corrigan was as influential in my career as anyone I know that was in the business of intercollegiate athletics. But when Boo Corrigan can be asked six different times, how did you come up with this? And he can't give you an answer. We've got a problem, okay? Just tell us that Florida State would have been in if Georgia had beaten Alabama. And then because Alabama beat Georgia, we had to have an SEC team. We couldn't leave them out. And we couldn't put in Alabama without bringing in Texas, which means Florida State, you're out. Just tell us that. They can't. Tell us that. And that's the problem, Dan. It's been the problem. And even though we go to 12 next year, it'll be an even bigger problem because they're going to hose teams that are 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 based on what? Based on brand name, based on they got to overhaul these uh, these rules, make rules. I don't want to see criteria. I don't want to see nebulous criteria. I want to see rules and regulations determining the deter- uh, the, uh, the circumstances under which a team is invited. Okay, that's what we need. That's what we want. And I, I sincerely hope the commissioners of college football understand that. All right, the game, that game. I, I think Alabama found themselves something after getting their ass beat by Texas and then struggling yeah. down in Florida. I think Milrow yeah. is really good. I also think that Michigan is really well coached. Like people complain about the Ohio State quarterback, whatever. That was a clean game. That was a really well coached game. Like Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be a fascinating game from the standpoint. I would be shocked if penalties and undisciplined play factor in, uh, Tim, because I think both of these teams are so well coached. And that's not always the norm, even though coaches like this have great reputations. These two teams seem really disciplined to me. They are, but let's consider this, all right? Alabama was penalized more than they've ever been this yeah. past year. Yeah. Now, now they now some of that wore out towards the end of the year. Most of it came early. Once they settled on Milrow as quarterback, there were there were less penalties, but still they were penalized quite a bit. The other factor, and this is an issue in football, Dan, that you didn't have to deal with in basketball. The biggest and most important games in basketball are played as teams are evolving and playing. And that chemistry that that we see develop from the first two rounds of the tournament to the Sweet 16, and the level gets better and better before we get – I'm not saying we don't have bad games occasionally in the Final Four. We do, but you're seeing the the teams playing at their best. In college football, in this system with only four teams, we have way too much time off. Plus, you have the holidays, and you're always looking at these important games being played after teams haven't – been in, in, a, in a competitive environment with somebody else for almost a month and so it does offer problems but to your point both defenses tackle well in space that's the big key I think especially for Michigan because they're gonna have to deal with Jalen Jalen Milrose legs okay I don't think there's a quarterback in the Big Ten that brings the athletic prowess to a team like Michigan for them to deal with quite like Jalen Milrow so that's going to be I think potentially problematic in the matchup uh, for Michigan. Now, I don't know that there's a team in the SEC 
that's as strong up front in both its offensive and defensive lines as is Michigan. So Alabama is going to meet their match, I think, in the interior. So that's, again, what makes it such a, a great matchup. And it is for all those reasons, all the things that we talked about off the field, you know, the fan bases and the hardball saving, all of that, but also the matchup physically, I think, is tremendous. You know, um, did Penix get screwed out of a Heisman? I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. I was prepared to vote for him. I, I was prepared to vote for him. I was prepared to vote for Bo Nix. You know, I, uh, Spencer Tillman and I had the game between Oregon and USC on the same night that Jalen Daniels had that unbelievable uh, game offensively against Florida. He was breaking all kinds of records. Look, I, you know, full disclosure, I live in Louisiana. I covered LSU when Charlie Mack was still coaching, okay? So I got a lot of LSU friends, and they're texting me in the middle of the game. You know how that can go. Are you seeing this? I'm like, well, I'm on. I'm on the year doing a couple of other guys. One, <laughs> the current Heisman winner, and, and the other is a favorite for the Heisman, Bo Nix. And I thought Bo had an incredible game, and it was showcased against, a, yeah, gr granted, a USC defense that was poor, but against Caleb Williams, who was the reigning Heisman winner. So it was a big moment for him. At that point in time, I thought Oregon was going to beat Washington in a rematch. I thought Bo Nix was on his way in his, uh, what would that be, the 47th semester of college football that he <laughs> participated in. But the bottom line is, uh, when those two guys played the second time, I was looking, and I think a lot of other Heisman voters, we were looking for one of those guys to distinguish themselves as the better of the two in leading their teams. But if you looked at the way that game played out, it was the running game of Washington. It was defense in the in the red zone of Washington. Again, that stymied uh, Oregon just enough to win the game. Bo had a run to get back in the game. I guess my point is the battle between Penix and, and Knicks had to be won. And I thought the individual battle was a wash. I thought they both had good games, not, not exponentially great games, right? No, they didn't set themselves apart. And when that happened, it opened the door for a guy to win it with his numbers. And to Brian Kelly's credit, after he got knocked out of that Alabama game in the fourth quarter and was able to come back and play the next week, I believe that was against maybe A&M after a week off. I think that's who it was. He put up great numbers again. So Brian and his offensive coordinator said, hey, you know what? This kid could still win the Heisman. We could still win 10 games. Let's let him chuck it. Go deep, young man. Just do whatever you want and go get it. Now, those other guys had to win close games trying to win a title. And the coaches couldn't just let the guy loose like Brian Kelly did. So I think in a lot of ways, Kelly and Denbrock and, and LSU deciding as a program, let's let him post some big-time numbers. That's how he won it. A little bit like Barry Sanders did way back in 88 when he stole it from uh, Rodney Pete and, and Troy Aikman, if you recall, going that, back that far. Oh, yeah. He came out of nowhere, but he won it with numbers. And I think that's the same thing here. It's a little bit like RG3, you know, his year because he was just – having such an unbelievable season throwing the football at Baylor that you really couldn't deny him. And I think that's sort of what happened here. Do you, you know, I don't know where you stand on Brian Kelly. You know, I get it in modern football, winning three out of four games, nine and three is bad. Used to, used to be before Urban Meyer, Jim Tressel actually was at Ohio yeah. state, a great friend of mine that was in the athletic department said, look, every coach at Ohio state's going to win 75% of their games. Brian Kelly yeah. wins 75% of his games. 
and he's like a bad coach. I've always defended Kelly. Um, I don't know. I just think wherever he goes, they win games. What the hell? Well, I think, though, this time he's got personnel that he never really had before. And the other thing about him is he's won at every level. You know, he came up really from a, a small college level, and then he won at Cincinnati. He was a quarterback whisperer. I think he got that Sugar Bowl at 11-0 and when he left to take the Notre Dame job with his fifth or his sixth quarterback. So I do think that his, um, his game coaching, bench coaching, as we like to say sometimes in basketball, is better than people realize. But his staff, I think, assembling his staff, he's got to get a better defensive coordinator at LSU. I don't think that this guy currently has is necessarily the right one. He, st- he stands by him now. I don't know if he's going to stand by him in another half season. We'll see. But but Denbrock has done a great job for him, uh, who was running that Cincinnati offense, you know, uh, for Fickle before he took the uh, the LSU job. Brian's got personnel, though, now, and he has an infrastructure now from an NIL standpoint to get whoever he wants. He's got to be bringing in the kind of athletes. You know, he's only been there two years. He's had to do it too much with the portal. His secondary was not as good this year because the portal guys that he got weren't good enough. Last year's were. He's got a third year of recruiting coming that's, I think, going to be a difference maker for him. And I think they're on their way, Dan. I think that this is the best chance of him having the kind of personnel to win the national title and maybe even multiple national titles than he would have ever had at Notre Dame because of the admissions thing and everything else. All right. And as I said, an endless supply of NIL cash that he can turn to. And he knows that. And I think everybody knows that. So, uh, I believe that the proof will be in the pudding over the next couple of years. I suspect that if Alabama goes down early and Michigan beats them, uh, I think that the worm is going to begin to turn a little bit more from a recruiting standpoint, uh, that Nick is not getting his necessarily all the players that he used to get. Uh, and I also look at LSU having won national championships with Les Miles and Ed Orgeron. And I say to myself, if you don't think that Brian Kelly can get it done within a five-year period, you know, I think you're incorrect. So we'll see. I believe within the next three years, he's going to get one. I do. I agree. I I do. All right. I got to get into this because I think everybody in the world thinks I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. You too. I've got that problem. I have that same problem. Yeah. It's like (laughs) I watched enough of Arch Manning to know that if his name was Brando or Dockage, he'd be a good quarterback. Um, I know I'm wrong, and particularly in Indianapolis, where if Peyton Manning says the word the, everybody laughs for 10 <laughs> minutes and says, oh, God dang, that Peyton is so funny. You know, I get it. But Quinn Ewers must be a hell of a quarterback. He's fought off the Mannings, and, and people think these Mannings are nice people. Hell, they got the kid traded Eli when he got drafted. <laughs> I mean, the dad is involved in everything. Let's not make any mistake. I say Texas is playing the best football, at least – what I've seen here in the last couple, they're beating the crap out of people, Tim. And Quinn Ewers isn't even talked about, but he got to be pretty good to, to take his team to the playoffs and freaking put a Manning on the bench. Well, I tell you what, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Arch stays. You know, I'm close to Archie and, and the entire family, and I've known him for, you know, I, I covered Archie as a cub reporter in 1979 in New Orleans. And you're right, he's involved. You know, the patriarch is definitely involved. But I ca- I'll also say this. I- I've never met a finer guy. Yeah. Probably, probably 
the only other guy that I ever met, Dan, in my in my lifetime that was in sports that I really admired and he lived up to and exceeded my thoughts when I met him was Staubach. Roger Staubach was a guy that just when you met him, you were like, my God, all the things that I thought about him, he was even better than I imagined. Well, Archie's the same way. And But your point about making sure that they're going to take care of their own and do it the best way they know how, oh, yeah, that, they, they are going to do that. Here's the thing with yours that's uh, interesting to me. You know, they lost their running back. Their, their Brooks got hurt, and I thought they were in trouble at that point, you know, in that TCU game, and because they needed the balance. When, when push came to shove, they went with the other quarterback as the backup, and not Arch. Now, they had agreed for him to, to get redshirted the first year. That was part of the arrangement, that he was going to be redshirted so he could hold on to that extra year of eligibility. I think all everyone thought that Ewers was gone, that he was done after this year. Now, suddenly, it, it appears that he may not be done after this year. I think a lot of it will depend on what happens here in the, in the playoffs, whether he wins it all, whether they get to the championship. You know, this is money time for these guys at skilled positions. And then what is Sark going to do? Which direction is he going to go? Because, as you know, USC's got uh, – Caleb is gone. This kid, uh, Malik Murphy, he, he is a is a stud from California. Will he leave, okay, and go out there and play? And if he does, that opens the door for Arch. There's going to be a lot of movement. I mean, a lot of off-season movement in that Texas scenario, particularly if Ewers stays, which I think all indications are now he will. But that could certainly change depending on what happens in a few weeks. My college roommate, Roger Wallace, is the analyst for Texas football. Yeah. And he told me, he goes, man, this guy, Malik Murphy, mm. is a freaking stud. Like, yeah. you know, we're, he's he's an IU grad, so we all want him, yeah. all these backups to come to IU, right? And, and you know, <laughs> save our program, you know, get the money yeah. together. Let's quit yeah. messing around, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But anyway, so how do you see this game going, Washington and Texas? The problem Texas is going to have, yeah, and I and I really believe it. Their their run game has got to be good enough, okay, especially in the red zone, because Washington's got two of the best bookends as rush ends that will hit you for negative plays anytime you get inside their twenty yard line. I got to give again my buddy Spencer Tobin a lot of credit. He was he was bullish on them from the jump this year, and he told me. We saw them against Stanford, Dan. They played maybe one of their worst games, and they are just coming off that Arizona State debacle. Remember, that was really the first yeah. bad game Penix had. Yeah. They were blow, they were blowing people out. I mean, uh, winning by you know almost as many points as Michigan was winning by, you know, on uh, on average. And then they had this stinker against Arizona State, and now we're getting them the next week at Stanford. And listen, that 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 team does not have anywhere near the talent that UW has. And they were in the game. Now, you could maybe, – maybe there's no crowd. You know, very few people on the farm are showing up. They're all, uh, you know, they're all at some, um, you know, uh, wine and cheese gathering somewhere near uh, Palo Alto, and they're not at a football game. It's easy to have more fans for the opposing team at that stadium than you, you see for Stanford. Yeah. So you got to create your own energy, so to speak, like playing in a vacant gym when you were playing basketball someplace else. So maybe that was part of it. The other part of it, though, was 
when, when they had to make plays in the red zone to finally close the game out, they did it, and they did it with creating negative plays with defensive ends. Their secondary, Washington's secondary, has improved as the season's gone on. I was impressed with Kalen DeBoer's defensive approach in the game with Oregon. That was the reason they beat Oregon the first time was their, their defensive play in the red zone, and that's how they beat them a second time. Texas, in my view, and remember, these two teams played. Now, granted, there are a few different players, but most of the players that were in that Alamo Bowl a, a year ago are still going to be on the field in this, in this playoff game this year. So there's a familiarity with both teams and both coaching staffs. Kalen DeBoer's defensive structure, even though it yields a lot of yardage, they are top 20 in terms of points allowed. And in a game of possessions, and this will be a game of possessions, it comes down to points allowed. And I believe Washington will – I believe they won't give up as many points in the red zone as Texas will. So I think UW is going to win the game. Uh, now, Texas has more talent offensively and defensively on both sides of the ball, in my view. But Washington is so battle-tested. That, that league was just a gauntlet. I mean, an absolute gauntlet, the way they had to end their season. You know, the Apple Cup game, they, that was a game they could have easily lost. They found a way to win in a rivalry environment. It helped that they were at home, but they found a way to win. And then a rematch. Now, you know this. They were double-digit dogs in the rematch. So they proved Vegas wrong and took care of business and did it the same way. I, I, and I think the three receivers on one team, beginning with Odunze, okay, McMillan's really good too, but Odunze is the 50, he turns a 50-50 ball from Penix into an 80-20 ball. And so I think he'll be a difference maker in the game too. So I think another epic game, you, you mentioned earlier about what a great matchup Michigan and, and Alabama is, and it is a great matchup. But I think the most exciting game will be Washington and Texas. I think it'll be of a track meet variety. It'll come down to who gets stops in the red zone because there'll be explosive plays, but sometimes those explosive plays don't get to the end zone. You get stopped at the five or the three, and then you got to punch it in. And when that field shrinks, Dan, when that field shrinks, it becomes really difficult for teams that aren't running the football particularly well. And that, uh, that defensive front for Washington gets stout. I mean stout. And their linebackers are really good, too. So inside the red zone, I think they've got an advantage. So I'm going to go with Washington in that game. You know, it's funny. I, I always say when I'm watching a game, guy's breaking away and he gets caught on like the 11. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. oh man. You need to get yeah. that inside the five. You know, you need yeah. to get that to where we can tush push it and not, and figure it all out yeah. later, you know? Some, some, sometimes with offenses, especially those that are struggling to run, you know, you see enough of these – it's basketball on grass for a lot of yeah. these teams. So if, you, if you're if you inside the 10, you you know, a false start to get you back to the 15 might help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might need a little more room for that wide receiver to have to do a double move or get that yeah. rub, right, to get that little pick that allows him to make the, the touchdown because uh, you just got more room with which to work. Um, that's why they score so many more points in the red zone in Canada. You know, the end zone is, is right. longer and deeper. So you're right hey, about that. I got two things. One, it just was announced Al Michaels taking off NBC's playoff coverage, a move that, quote, he did not expect. 
Mm. That's bold by NBC, a move he did not expect. I mean, I would think that L. Michaels would probably be told beforehand. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, I, you know, he's the best at it, without a doubt, in my lifetime, in my generation. You know, guys that were still doing it that uh, when I was, you know, getting started. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the best. But here's what's kind of what's happening in our industry. And it's a little scary for guys like me and others. It's why I'm so happy to be at Fox uh, at a place where I, I, I believe that they really care deeply about the, the way the game is called. Uh, I don't know that that's happening as much in our industry no. anymore, Dan. I really don't. No. Uh, and, and, and if you become, and, and sometimes this will happen. I think you may have, um, I think you may have introduced me as um, the first time I was on as iconic iconic uh, in college football I legendary think, whenever, whenever you hear that you know it's you get a little squeamish you know because <laughs> at, at what at what point at what point does whatever that icon or ick begin to yeah. wear off yeah. because they're looking to go cheap they're all yeah. looking to, to get these guys because of the rights fees that they're paying whether it's for the nfl or for college football where are the production costs coming where are they where are they making the cuts they're making the cuts in the number of cameras. They're making the cuts on whether they're sending full crews. You know that. They've got yeah. games being produced that aren't at the game sites. And oh, but, oh, so the announcers matter. Yeah. But do we matter as much? That becomes, I think, a question. They, uh, you know, the loss of uh, Paul Azinger on golf, um, you know, cutting him loose. Uh, Billy Packer's son, Brant, I think one of the best golf producers on the planet. Uh, just uh, found out his his contract wasn't being renewed, and Brent is outstanding. and And I worked with him at CBS. He was he came up through our graphics department. Uh, we're seeing this across the board beginning to happen. And when you hear about it happening to someone like Al, that is that's pretty unique because you would think he he would be above that, but maybe it's just their way of saying the industry's way of saying, uh, okay, you've had your day and it's time to move on. Yeah. But if you still got your fastball, and I think he does, it's hard. You know, I, I felt the same way about Musburger. I did. I, I felt the same way about Brent. I thought they ran him out too soon, uh, even though he was w well into his mid to late 70s. Uh, Al is even beyond that, I think. And and maybe they felt like, hey, we were nice enough for a period of time, but now we want to and, – and and you know this also. It's like an A.D., with a president and a coach, right? As soon as the AD changes, you better have your head on a swivel if you're the coach, right? You make a change with your executive producer, right? Head better be on a swivel because in our business, you may think you're valuable, but your value to that company is based solely on who can take credit for your success. Yeah. And and um, and again, that's one of the reasons why it was such a godsend for me because by the time I was hired at Fox. Uh, you know, I was 58 years old. No one there was going to, you know, take a victory lap for hiring Tim Brando. They wanted me because they they felt like they needed a, a veteran to help them with the portfolio in college. It was growing, you know, so I'm forever grateful to them. Yeah. But but that's what's happening in our business, Dan. Uh, it, 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 it Younger guys coming up are getting great opportunities, and that's good. But if it's at the cost of losing some of our really big and outstanding iconic voices it's kind of a shame no I'm it's with a you. big shame it's a big i yeah. think it's a huge shame but i'm old 
Tim, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Thank you. I want to talk to you as we in a couple of weeks as we move closer and we see what's transpired, good or bad. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dan, and thank you for streaming because it gives me something to watch. Yeah. Cable television, your daytime sucks. Cable television, daytime sucks. Sucks. Out loud. Sucks sucks. out loud. (laughs) So thank you. Not iconic, Tim Brando. That's the great (laughs) Tim Brando. And to Tim's point, I appreciate him coming. To his point, I knew I was leaving Bowling Green when they announced me as a veteran Mac coach. Last thing in the world I wanted to be was a veteran Mac coach. I should have got my ass out of the Mac and gone to West Virginia and stayed my ass there. But that's a different story for another time. That was a great breakdown by the great Tim Brando. And to his point, I'll tell you this. When I heard Musburger, I hear Brando, I hear Al Michaels, or I hear Tarico now, I know it's a big game. Nance, I know it's a big game, but he doesn't turn me on. There's nobody at ESPN that I hear that I go, that's a big game. You know, Vital used to be that. Oh, it's a big game. Billis does it. I'm like, all right, I'm probably – I like Jay. I always rip Jay. I don't mean to rip Jay. I like Jay. I like him a lot, actually. But there's nobody that I'm like, oh, that's a big game. This is going to be interesting. You know, King McClure? Huh? (laughs) Right? I mean, you know, Debbie Antonelli? Are you crazy? There's nobody. And and that's sad. Like, at Fox, what am I going to listen to? Jimmy Jackson? I like Jimmy. Jimmy's a friend, but come on. Well, the young men, come on. I mean, boy, is Tim Brando right. And that is interesting news about Al Michaels. Al Michaels does a game. And I know a lot of people were like, Al Michaels is just, you know, phoning it in and blah, 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 blah. You say whatever the hell you want, but Al Michaels does a game. You're, you're interested. You know it's a big game. And you know you're going to get a smooth call, baby. You just know. Uh, man. I do have to tell you this. The YouTube chat is pumping. We are rolling. Everybody's on it. The world is crazy. Yeah. Lick says, I work two to three hours a day and then chat for about five to seven. All right, we come back. I got some emails, but I also got some takes that you're probably going to be like, huh. And one of them involves what's going on at Harvard. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Let's go right to some of the emails because the YouTube chat has been pumping, and I'm all in on the YouTube chat. Nah, seriously. Oh, wait. We're going to go to my top five college basketball teams, and these aren't anything. We're going to go number five first, fellas, so hopefully that's okay, Dylan. And Ryan, but uh, we're going to go number five. Number five is UConn. I could put UConn number one. Nah, I could put UConn number one. UConn could be number one. They lost at Kansas, all right? But look, UConn is as good as any. And frankly, any of these five teams, I think, could be put number one. But I will tell you this, the number one team, I think, has separated itself. And I'll explain when we come back. But UConn is damn good. Look, when you go into... Come on. When you go into KU, you play a nationally televised game, and KU is going to find this this week, and I promise you, Indiana is going to play it down the wire and I think beat Kansas. If Indiana gets beat by double digits, wake me up when the Big Ten tournament starts relative to Indiana. That's how I look at it. If they get beat by two, fine, but I think Indiana is going to play the breaks off, and that's what Kansas did at home against UConn. UConn is damn good. UConn's got size. UConn's got tough. Here's the thing that UConn has. 
There's no drama. And I think I say this every week when I talk about UConn. There's no drama with UConn. I mean, who's quitting? Who's coming? Who's going? The guys get hurt. And I love the no drama. Number four, Kansas. I have not been impressed with Kansas. In fact, I tried to find, I was maybe going to put Baylor in there. I don't think Kansas is very good. I watched Kansas get dismantled by Marquette. They can't shoot the ball. Yes, they have Hunter Dickinson, but I think he's a dweeb that has a much chance of getting you beat as he does of helping you win. That's how I look at it. McCullers is a nice player. The point guard gets too loose. I could see this point guard having one of those games in Assembly Hall where he is either, and this is odd, he is either so good that Indiana can't handle him or he is so bad that, frankly, Bill Self's got to take him out of the game. In fact, what I may try to do, I'm going to send you guys, Beth and everybody, Bill Self's information and see if we can get him on uh, maybe later on this week. I don't know if they have a game or anything, but if they do or don't, We'll see if we can get Bill on. Maybe Bill's mad. I don't know. But Bill is a really good dude, at least with me normally. But here's what Kansas has done. All right. They barely beat Kentucky. They had to come back in the second half. Pretty good. They beat Tennessee. They struggled against Eastern Illinois. And they beat UConn by four. And then they won in a game against Kansas State. I just don't think when I watch Kansas that I think this is a great team. I don't think it's a bad team. McCullers and the point guard, though, Dewan Harris can't shoot. Now, he hit a bunch of threes against Kentucky. But watch this, and I'll break this game down more as the week goes on. I think he's too loose. I think he makes too many skip to my Lou passes. Wasn't that the name of that guy, skip to my Lou? Who was the guy in the N1 videos? He was pretty good. But that's what I – and they're not particularly deep. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not in love with this Kansas team. I know a lot of people are, but I am not. And I think Indiana beats them, but I am putting Kansas four because they deserve it. They've beaten some good teams. They have. They've beaten good teams. You deserve to be there. I'm all in on it. So, yay, Rod, go fight, win. Number three, the Houston Cougars of Calvin Sampson. Look, Calvin, let me, let me give you some scores here. One by 53, 32, 31, 16, 10, 14. 40, no, 35. Xavier, they came back and won by six. Rice, they won 75-39. And then they beat Jackson State. I mean, they blow people out. Now, they got Texas A&M. All right, coming up this weekend, Texas A&M. Houston would be a game I would never watch, but it will be a good game. It will be a really good game. It just is. I don't know what to tell you. But long story short, that's the number three team in the country. Number two or number one, you can put in a pile. I know Purdue lost to uh, uh, Northwest. I understand it, and I'm the one that said Purdue was going to go undefeated. But I got to tell you, man, Purdue, to me, is the one team in the entire Midwest slash Big Ten that can make serious waves in the NCAA tournament. Now, that's stupid to say because we all understand the NCAA tournament is about matchups and blah, 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 blah. And we also understand that Purdue's track record over the last five years in the NCAA tournament includes being the second team ever to lose as a one seed against a 16 seed. But this is a different Purdue outfit. I'm sorry. And I always get caught gritty. I do. I get caught in this. I got caught into thinking that Purdue would have a chance, a chance to go undefeated in the season. 
They've played some really tough teams. They've played them really well. They fought, they battled, they scrapped, they clawed, and they won, including against an Alabama team where they had to score 92 points and overcome eight, or excuse me, 19 threes. Now, if you're going to tell me they can beat the number one team, Arkansas, let's talk about it. One of the, uh, excuse me, Arizona. Arizona is my number one team, but let's combine it. This game is going to be in Indianapolis. This game is going to be on Peacock, which is ridiculous. I'm assuming one versus two, and it's not just me that has this one versus two. It's everybody that has these one versus two. Should be at Peacock as part of NBC. NBC got the college basketball package from the Big Ten. They should have this on NBC. I understand, I do, I swear that the NFL is king. I also understand that going back before a lot of you were born, when they started ESPN2 and they wanted people to get ESPN2 and know where ESPN2 is, what they do, they put Duke, North Carolina in the middle of February or January, I can't remember which, on ESPN2. I get it. I swear to you, I understand putting this on Peacock. Why? So that they can get you to subscribe to Peacock. Why? Because there's going to be more and more games on Peacock. There just is. But it sucks. It does. It sucks. So Saturday, you've got three football games. All right? You've got three NFL games. They're all on NFL Network. They're not on NBC. I'd have to look at my guide to see what in the hell is on NBC as opposed to the number one versus number two in Indianapolis in a sold-out joint. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe college basketball absolutely doesn't warrant, other than in March Madness, doesn't warrant that kind of service. But I disagree. I think college basketball demands that kind of service. I think college basketball has to have that kind of service done to it. Now, I wish this was at Mackey as opposed to in Indy. Indiana State, by the way, if you're planning on going to the game, get to early, watch Indiana State. Indiana State is damn good. Indiana State is really, really good. No, really good. So watch it. But anyway, I like Arizona. I think Arizona is tough. They beat the absolute dog out of Duke at Duke. They beat the absolute dog. I mean the dog out of Wisconsin. I happen to be watching that game. And again, like the Indiana game, there was never a time where you felt like Wisconsin was going to make a comeback, Indiana against Auburn. There was never a time. You're like, whoa, this could be 30 just as easily. It ain't nobody coming back. So we'll see what we shall see. But anyway, uh, I hope to be watching the game. It's 4.30 on Peacock. They're trying to get you to spend 9, 10, 11 bucks a month on Peacock. So I don't know. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. Personally, as a college basketball fan, I think it's worth it. All right. You ready? Emails. Leonard. First up, Leonard. All right, Leonard. So I ride with Dan each week, most weeks good, some weeks bad. And then there was this week. Now I know, I know the CWB, cool white boy, has Indiana bias. But listen and ride or die with Mr. Dockage anyway. Indiana versus Auburn, Dan said it's going to be a good game. It was until the Hoosiers literally got it in the mouth. They never recovered. Next, uh, John Buzzard, one of our favorites, said, Dan, from the Indiana Fever, the Facebook feed said, number one, secured for the second straight year. We'll have the first pick in the NBA draft. Only in Indy with a franchise brag about sucking the most. 
glad we got our hope. We're glad they've got their hope of Caitlin Clark secured if she declares early. My guess is NIL money during her senior year will be far, far out exceed any WNBA contract value. Fever will need one more year of crappiness. Look, I'm not going to lie. If I'm the Fever, I'm celebrating anything. They've had the worst freaking record in the NBA for two years. Aaliyah Boston's a nice player. She's a lot of fun. But Caitlin Clark's at a different level. Caitlin Clark is the kind of person that elevates your entire city. Now, I don't say she's Peyton Manning. I don't say she's whoever else, Reggie Miller. She might be closer to Reggie Miller than anything else. Taking a franchise that was in the dumps and making it very relevant. Look, Indianapolis will support fun. We will support a fun player, and Caitlin Clark is a fun player. Hell, people got all excited about Aaliyah Boston. I'm glad they did. But Caitlin Clark's on a different level. Caitlin Clark is a combination of Pete Maravich, Steph Curry, and whoever else you want to put in there. Showman, showwoman. It's really good. I think she's legitimately good. I do. I think she's the kind of woman that walks into the WNBA and turns it on its head. Now, bad franchise. Who knows how the crazy-ass women, who, and they are insane. These lesbians are insane. They're tough on each other. They're horrible to each other. From what I've been told, it is a freaking mess in most locker rooms. you got to get that cleaned up. But the fact of the matter is, Caitlin Clark's just different. And I would do something like this. I would make damn sure that Caitlin Clark was protected in that locker room with really good players around her. And I think Aaliyah Boston is that kind of good player. I like Aaliyah Boston. Hey, Dan, this is from the cash man. And the cash man is always to be listened to. We took Dak Prescott four, plus 4,000 to win the NFL MVP on November 14th. Dak is now plus 160. He's a favorite on DraftKings to win the award. Cannot believe the number was that far off when we took it. For the first time in my life, I'm a Cowboys fan, at least for the next four weeks, just off of a Jaden Daniels plus 1,100 Heisman win. Don't at me. Thanks, D.D. Cash. I'm telling you, the cash man wins. He is not a sports book. He's just a sports informer. He'll help you. And he's smart. He doesn't bet every night. Uh, Four-inch dubs is back. 24-inch dubs. Dan, this goes out to the Steelers and their dumbass fans. You lost to my two-win Pats. Apologize for being clowns this week and bye-bye playoffs. The Colts are even better, which is shocking. You ain't lying. So Lee and I went and had lunch over at this little spot. It's a local spot in Marco Island. It's right on the water. Unbelievable place. Little, little spot. Guys are sitting at the bar. I asked him, I go, why are we watching the NBA semifinal that was played two days ago? Let's get Army-Navy on. Everybody's like, yeah, what are we doing? So anyway, guy turns around. He goes, where are you from? I go, Indy. He goes, I'm from New England. I go, yeah, you guys are struggling. He goes, yeah, for once, you guys are better than us. And I couldn't really give him anything. You know what I mean? I couldn't say. I appreciated the fact that he was starting uh, some ish. You know what I'm saying? I ain't mad at some ish. In fact, I like some ish. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't know what to say. Yeah, we won a Super Bowl while you won seven. Yeah, we had Peyton Manning. You had Tom Brady. We had uh, Tony Dungy while you had Belichick. We got Ursay while you got Kraft. I will say this as we move forward this week. I tell you one thing that's hard for the Colts. They have a hard time beating the Steelers, not since 2008. And I got to tell you, I'm not touching that game unless all of a sudden the uh, 
sack attack says, this is what we do. I ain't touching it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to know about it. I don't like it. I don't want to hear about it. Colts never, ever, ever beat them. Ever. Ever. Never, ever. Never. Never. Mm. Man. All right. Let's do a couple of things. I'm going to give you a little something here. Harvard. So Princeton went out and said, or Penn went out and said, you know what? Our middle-aged white lady is not fit to be the president of Princeton or Penn. She's not fit to be the president of Penn because she refused in front of the world to denounce genocide. Well, guess who did that at Harvard? An African-American lesbian lady who appears, at least according to multiple people, to have plagiarized paperwork, her reporting, her thesis is whatever. All that combined, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is this. She ain't getting fired. Are you crazy? She ain't getting fired. She ain't getting fired. 600 professors supported her. The board is scared because of the power lesbian. She should have been fired first. According to most, she should have never been hired. But once again, DEI, baby. So at Harvard, you're a Jewish student. You're a Jewish donor. There's a lot of them. You're not safe on that campus. How could you be? How could you be safe at Harvard when they will expel you for using the, quote, wrong pronouns, and they won't condemn genocide of Jewish people slash students? How could you possibly, as a Jewish person, send your son, your daughter, your grandson, your grand, whatever, to Harvard? I'm not sure how you could send anybody to Harvard ever, anytime, anywhere. I mean, think of being, uh-oh, Claudine Gay is married to a guy. Maybe I've got that wrong. Ooh, fake news. Retract, retract, retract. Is it a beard? Don't know. But they're not going to get rid of her. African-American woman, locked in for life, period. Fact of the matter is, Harvard sucks for this. Fact of the matter is, MIT sucks for this. Fact of the matter is, good for Penn. Now, the Penn lady, she was so smug sitting up there. She was so ridiculous sitting up there that I, 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 uh, yeah. Hey, I got it wrong. Claudine Gay, Claudine Gay is not a lesbian. She is married to a man with a son. I got wrong information. I got it from Twitter. How can you get wrong information from Twitter? That is my bad. Usually I try to be absolutely on point, and apparently I got a little loose with the facts, and I apologize. Apparently not gay. The son doesn't change the fact that she, ladies and gentlemen, refused to denounce genocide. I asked yesterday, I asked Bruce Pearl, what would possess somebody? What is there that somebody asks you, is genocide saying, promoting genocide of Jewish people? Is that harassment? And you can't just say, hell yes. And anybody that participates in it will be expelled from school, and we will forward our information to the authorities because this is not happening on our campus. now. 
it goes a little bit against what I've always said. I don't need a campus to nurture me. That's one of the sickest things that I've heard. Well, we want a nurturing camp. I didn't need to be nurtured at Indiana. My parents are nurturing me. I'm at school, baby. I'm figuring it out. I'm burning love letters in my dorm in a garbage pail. Kidding me? I'm holding guys as they're crapping off the roof. I'm in, I don't need a nurt, a nice nurturing place. No, but I do need people to say, hey, you ain't gonna promote genocide on our campus of Jewish people. You're not doing that. You're not harassing Jewish people. I don't give a damn about pronouns. I don't want to hear about pronouns. Who cares about pronouns? You're not promoting. You're not engaging in. You are not in any way, shape, or form harassing Jewish people. And you're certainly not going to call without consequence for the extermination, the genocide of Jewish people. Period. That I would pound the desk. And that would not even be necessary. It would not even have to go in front of a congressional committee with me. As soon as I saw that this was a thing after that horrible day in October, it would have been announced as loudly as possible. I would have stood on the stage at John Harvard's statue, where, by the way, don't touch the shoes because people pee on them. It's a ritual of Harvard students. I would have stood there. I would have demanded, called for a mandatory student and staff meeting. And I would have said with police all around me, this is what is going to happen if you harass anybody, but in particular, Jewish folks on the, don't tell me about free speech. Look, it ain't free speech to not call someone they, them, him, her, whatever. Stop it, stupid. So yes, I made a mistake about the woman's gender or the woman's sex life, whatever. But no, the awfulness with which she, the MIT and the Pennsylvania or Princeton, whatever, the Penn lady conducted themselves should not go unpunished. There should be consequences, period, period. Boom. That's true. Damn. That's easy. Isn't that easy? That's easy. I mean, you want to call for a ceasefire? Fine. You want to call for Palestinians? to what? Fine. But the genocide of Jewish people? Of any people? Are you insane? What a world, man, where we're so afraid. We're so afraid as leaders. Leaders, supposed to be leaders. I want to say that again. That lady gay, supposed to be a leader. That lady at Penn, supposed to be a leader. MIT, supposed to be a leader. And they stood there, they sat there in front of a convention, uh, a committee, cowering because they couldn't say that calling for the genocide of Jews is harassment. They're right. It's not harassment. It's way beyond harassment. It's evil. It's criminal. Get the hell out of here with that. Fire them all. That's how I feel. Uh, woke dope. Let's hear it. Let's see it. What we got? Oh, there we go. Look at those teeth. I want someone who laughs at my jokes the way Camilla Harris laughs at questions she can't answer. Boy, is that true? Man, oh man, that's from the Jimmy Carter book. A lot of you are too young. Gary, I think you would know this. Uh, I don't know how old you are, but I'm sure, I think you would. I think Aaron, you would. 
Remember when Jimmy Carter used to smile? He used to smile. Ah, I have sexual urges. Yeah, I do. He said it in Playboy. That's what this clown does. She smiles, huh? <laughs> Man, Jimmy Carter got elected that way. So did she. What are you going to do? They smile in your face all the time. They want to take your place. They're backstabbers. Backstabbers. Next. Oh, man. That is a Norman Rockwell painting. Those of you that don't know Norman Rockwell, he painted Americana, iconic pictures of life in America. There it is. That could be downtown San Francisco. That could be the south side of Chicago. That could be New York City. Name a Democratic-run city, and there it is, your latest Norman Rockwell painting. That's pretty funny. That's actually really funny. Next! Hi. Like a wake-up call? Everything was better under trust. That's pretty funny, too. Everything. Hey, look, you know it's an election year. Why? You know we're in an election cycle. Why? Well, Gas prices are going down. Look at how we've lowered gas prices. Now, people are going to say, well, you know, the president had nothing to do with that. Well, if the president had nothing to do with that, then why do they keep bragging about it? You don't understand commerce, Dan. You don't know. Okay, tell me. Tell me this. Why does the president and his minions, why are they always bragging about lowering gas prices if the president doesn't have anything to do with gas prices? I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. Long story short, I think the president does have something to do with gas prices. Long story short, everything from inflation to safety to the border to gas prices to your 401k. I don't care. Look, I wouldn't care about Hunter by I wouldn't care about any of them. If in America we were better off under Joe Biden, all I want, I don't get my morality from freaking politicians. I certainly don't care if the president's son's a crackhead whore chasing guy that dates his brother's widow or spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on webcams and didn't pay taxes. I wouldn't care a second. Well, Donald Trump said grab him by the bush. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me one second. We've all said things we regret. We've all said things privately that we wish we had. Let he who has not sinned cast the first stone. Grab him by the bush. That's terrible. My God, can't govern. Shut up. Gas prices a buck seventy nine. Inflation non-existent. The world is terrified of it, and the borders are closed. Uh, I'll take it. Grab America by the bush and let's pull them along. I don't get my morality from presidents. I mean, if I did, what would my morality under Bill Clinton be? What would my morality under that, you know, former dope smoking cocaine doing George W. Bush be? I mean, John Kennedy, stooping everything that walked. Only reason Ronald Reagan married Nancy was because, well, you know, the only reason, and it's public. Stop it. This is a great show, Gary. It's a great show, Aaron. It's a great show, Nick. Nick, too, Dylan, Ryan. I thank you all for your contribution. Beth, you're awesome. Thank you, Kaylee. Thank you, uh, Katie. Thanks to everybody. 
kidding me? Davey? If I don't mention you, let me know. I'll mention you. Thanks to all you guys that are on the YouTube chat. I think one day I ought to just free flow it for like two hours and see what happens. Just no script. No rundown. Just chat. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great day. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm sad because I lost bets this week. Goodbye. Goodbye.